0: Well, good morning, everybody. I was very pleasantly surprised pulling into to church today and seeing the parking lot so full for Sabbath school. That, uh, our, my prayer, and I know a lot of people here, is that we can have the church full like it used to be. I remember coming in and church would be full and even people would have to sit over on the sides. And with God's grace, maybe we can make that happen. Uh, I did enjoy the children's story, and I wasn't aware of, of who you were, but uh, Gary graciously told me, that you're the couple that's getting married next week. So for the people that didn't know that, uh, I don't think I'm the only one, uh, but it's neat seeing that enthusiasm. I was young once. Of course, that was a long time ago. <laughs> but uh, okay, I'll tell you how old I am. I was born before GPS. And cell phone. But uh, yeah, talk about getting lost. Uh, have you ever been in a vehicle where you know where you're supposed to go and there's two GPS's in there? One says turn left, one says turn right, and you know you're supposed to go straight? That has happened to me. So, anyways, uh, the title of my sermon today is Why Me, Lord? And the scripture that Gary read, in verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Now it doesn't say Jews, it doesn't say Gentiles. It says, for I know the plans that I have for you. And I, I think that's pretty neat. Uh, some years back, Melanie sh- Melanie Shelton Firestone uh, sang a song. I'm not sure who wrote it. Okay, and we're in sh- it was based on this on this verse, and it's really neat. And I've I've listened to it uh, over and over again. That the Lord does want us to prosper, but what is prosper? Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Before we get started, I just want to have a little light thing here. A little silver haired lady calls her neighbor and says, Please come over here and help me. I have a killer jigsaw puzzle and I can't figure out how to get started. Her neighbor asks, What is it supposed to be when it's finished? The silver haired lady says, According to the picture on the box, it's a rooster. Her neighbor decided to go over and help with the puzzle. She lets him in and shows him where the puzzle is, spread out all over the table. I like doing puzzles, so I can relate to this. And there's times it is hard. Where do you start? So, you know, usually you start on the edge. He studies the pieces for a moment, then looks at the box, then turns to her and says, First of all, no matter what we do, we are not going to be able to assemble these pieces into anything resembling a rooster. He takes her hand and says, Secondly, I want you to relax. Let's have a nice cool drink. And then he said with a sigh, We'll put all the cornflakes corn back in the box. <laughs> <laughs> Things aren't always what they seem to be. But uh, they can be interesting at times. Um, let's bow our heads. Lord, be with us today, and especially be with me as we go through and we ask them try to answer the question, why me, Lord? I know everyone here has is, is asked that. And with your grace we can feel comfort from it I pray in your name, amen I want to start out today going to uh, Matthew 19 Matthew 19 verses 16 and 30 and this story is told in Mark and also in Luke Luke and there is just some little different variations. I like the, the variation in here. And in the, I'm going to be reading from the New International. And in the New International, it has the heading here, The Rich Young Ruler. And now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good, th- what good thing must I do to, to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones the man required? Jesus excuse me. Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false witness. Honor your father and your mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 20, he says, all these I have kept. The young ruler said, what do I still lack? So here we've got this guy, this this rich young ruler. He's successful in the ways of the world. He's obvious from this, you get the the understanding that he's he's a, a good practicing Jew, but yet he still has some questions, which You know, or rightfully so. You could come back and look at this. Well, is he being cocky or is he being sincere? Well, let's read on. In verse 21, Jesus answered, If you want to to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth as he's walking away, I can just imagine he's saying, why me, Lord? Why why me? The story goes on, verse 23, Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, but I tell you it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Okay, does this say a rich man is not going to make it to heaven? It just says that it's harder. Why would it be harder for a rich person to get to heaven than a poor person? Confidence. A rich person has more confidence, more self-reliance. Security. And this this deal with this needle and the camel thing. When I was a kid, my mom made, made quilts, and she made braided rugs. So when I went to the academy, I was the only boy that at least admitted that he knew how to braid, because I'd have to sit there at night and help my mom braid the rugs. And she had made small ones and big ones. It was kind of fun. Of course, I'm not going to let her know that. But I enjoyed it. And then making quilts, and we would, she would work on putting all the pieces together, and the fronts and the backs, and then she'd have four or five of them all put together, and then we'd go into the kitchen, move everything, and set up the frames, and of course, when she first started doing them, she was making them for twin and, and cribs. Well, then, my brothers were getting married. They needed doubles, and then they got bigger bigger houses. So they had to have a queen, so we're going through and all that, but I remember as a kid helping her and taking and trying to thread that needle and thinking of this. It's easier for a Rich or for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And I'm sitting there having a hard time with my big fingers to get that through. That's no, not impossible. I would make it. But these are things that I come through. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and said, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter, Peter answered, We have left everything to follow you. What then will be there for us? Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth, that the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me and also will sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Verse twenty-nine is powerful here. This goes along with this, with, with with Jeremiah, where I want you to prosper. It says, in verse twenty-nine, going back to then, everyone who has left houses, and brothers, or sisters, or fathers, or mothers, or children, or fields, for my sake. Now, he didn't really miss anything there. I'm not going to answer a show of hands, but I bet you there's people sitting in this congregation right now that have made these choices. They have left family to join this church. They have left jobs to join this church. And they're asking themselves, is this prospering? But what is the eternal prosperity? That's why we're sitting here today. So, here's one example of why me, Lord. Let's go and look in uh, John 8. John 8, and we're going to start with verse 1. But we got another story here of why me, Lord. A man had just returned to... Uh, excuse me, a woman had just returned to her home from an evening of church services when she was startled by an intruder. She caught the man in the act of robbing her home and its valuables and yelled, Stop! Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven. The burglar stopped in his tracks the woman calmly called the police and explained what she had done. As the officer cuffed the man and took him in, he asked the burglar, Why did you just stand there? All the lady had, had done was yell the scripture at you. Scripture, the guy says. She said she had an axe in two hundred thirty eight. Why me, Lord? So here we are in John eight, starting with verse verse one. But Jesus sent went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to preach. Uh, to excuse me, to teach them the. the Teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They had made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman is caught in adultery. Now a couple red flags come up right away. Okay, she was caught in, the, in adultery. And they bring the woman. Well, if you're caught in the act of adultery, isn't there 2 I'm just asking. Verse 5, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What now do you say? They were using this question to trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write in the ground with his finger. And it's interesting when you look at this. He's, sitting down, he's bending over to write with his finger. And I think the only other time that someone from the Godhead is writing with his finger is the Ten Commandments. I could be wrong, but I, I know for sure it's written with, with his finger, the Ten Commandments. So verse 7. When, he kept on, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stepped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who had heard began to go away one at a time the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Christ declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. As she's walking away, I can hear her say, why me, Lord? We have two stories here of one of a man that is living an upstanding, righteous life. And he's confronted that maybe he's not as uprighteous as he thought. Then we have a story of a lady that was not living an uprighteous life, but yet she's leaving the presence feeling blessed. One more story. I want to go to Job. And Job, for so many reasons, is an interesting character. And uh, I remember back when, when the first time that we came to this church, we were in the quarterly, we were studying the book of Job. And uh, so that just, Job and, and Fox stand out in, in my mind. But it's interesting, as we're looking through here in Job, and starting in chapter 1, we're familiar basically with the story that there's a council in heaven and Lucifer is there and he's saying, yeah, everyone is following you because of fear and, and because you make them. And the Godhead says, no, we don't make them. Take my servant Job. He's, he is upright and righteous. So Satan says to him, okay, let me test him. And he says, okay, you can test him, but you can't kill him. So we get into the story here, and we'll just go through briefly here, that he's, he's visiting... With some people, and a, and a messenger comes in and says that uh, you. Well, I gotta go back here. That that he's he's losing everything that he's got, and there's there's four times that a messenger comes, one right after the other. First, his crops are burned. The rival nations are coming and taking away his property. And then the last is that his kids are killed. They're all together feasting at the oldest son's house, and they're all killed. He's lost all his wealth. He's lost his family, everyone but his wife, which I find intriguing. In Job 2, verse 9 and 10, his wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. He's got, at this point, he's got boils on him. He's sick. He's lost everything, except his wife. And she's here prodding him. Just curse God and die. Verse 10, he replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept God, good from God and not trouble in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. And when you go through and look at the end of the book, what happens with Job? He's given more kids. He's, he's blessed with more wealth, more cattle. And Job says, why me, Lord? You know, I love listening to a voice and thinking of a song that would be a perfect match. Jake has introduced me to his friend Bob Kane, and I was taken by the distinctive quality of his voice. It got me thinking about Chris Christopherson in the songs that he wrote, Why Me, Lord, back in 1972. And I got to thinking, what would happen when that perfect song came together with a great voice? Why me, Lord, what have I ever done to deserve even one of the blessings I've known? Tell me, Lord, what did I ever do that was worth? loving you for the kind Try me, Lord, if you think there's a way I could try to repay all I've taken from you. Maybe, Lord, I can show someone else what I've been through. (laughs) Please. I first heard "Lead Me to That Rock" no, sung by the Four Knights Quartet back in 1948. It was a national hit. When I came up with the thoughts for this sermon, I had just got done hearing this song. Uh, for those of you that have Hope Channel, uh, there's a program on there, "Steps to Christ in Song," and it's it's an academy up in British Columbia. And their students, and to go there, you have to be musically inclined, to either play an, an instrument or a vocal. And uh, they travel around and do videos. Uh, when I say travel around, they go to parks and and beaches and, and different things, and it's it's really neat. But they were they were singing the song, and they have they have the kids sing sometimes in a choir and sometimes separately. And they sang the song, and it was a I can't remember the kid's name, but he was a sophomore, a junior, and he says, "When I first looked at that, I said, you know." talking to him, he says, I looked at that song and I says, you know, why me, Lord? Why is someone picking on me? And then, he said, I looked at it and started paying attention to it and it was an altogether different song. Why me, Lord? What have I ever done to deserve even one of the pleasures I've known? Tell me, Lord, what did I ever do that was worth loving you or the kindness you've shown. Lord, help me, Jesus, I've wasted it so. Help me, Jesus, I know what I am. Now that I know that I've needed you so, help me, Jesus, my soul's in your hand. Tell me, Lord, if you think there's a way I can try to repay all I've taken from you. Maybe, Lord, I can show someone else what I've been through myself on my way back to you. Now, when you go through and, and read those lyrics and listen to those lyrics, you're thinking, my goodness, this is one spiritual person that wrote this song if you don't know who wrote the song. Chris Christopherson's father was an Air Force general who had pushed his son to the military career. Chris was a Golden Glove block. Golden Gloves Boxer and went to Pomona College in California. From there, he earned a Rhodes Scholarship to study literature in Oxford. He ultimately joined the Army and achieved the rank of captain. He became a helicopter pilot, which later served him well. In 1965, he resigned his commission to pursue songwriting. He had just been assigned to become an English teacher at West Point. Now, I was never in the military. But knowing people that have been in the military, the military knows what's right, and you don't. He was a guy that wanted to fly chopper pilots. This was back in Vietnam when things were were starting going on over there. He wanted to fly, and the Army says, you're not going to fly. You're a Rhodes Scholar. You're going to West Point and teach English. He got a job sweeping floors in Nashville Studios where he met Johnny Cash who initially took some of his songs but ignored them. He was also working as a commercial chopper pilot at the time. He got Cash's attention later when he landed his helicopter in Cash's yard and gave him some more tapes. And from different stories and stuff and interviews that I've seen Johnny Cash, if if he knew you and he was your friend you couldn't have a better friend. And if you or I had somebody, you know, were, were sitting there at a meal and somebody landed a chopper in, in your yard, you'd probably call a 911 to get this person off. Johnny Cash was the type of person, oh, wonder who's coming to visit. Cash then recorded Christopher Christofferson's Sunday Morning Coming Down, which was voted 1970s Song of the Year by the Country Music Association. Chris was noted for his heavy boozing when he lost his chopper pilot's license when he passed out at the controls, and his drinking ruined his marriage to singer Rita Coolidge. story about that is he met Rita Coolidge on an airplane. They were traveling. His band and and her band was traveling. It just happened to be that way. And he saw this lady, and from some of you may or may not know who she was, she was a tall, slender Lady had real long black hair, and she had some songs in the late 60s, early 70s. He says, i got to get to know this woman because she has a better band than I do. Not really the best way to start a relationship. He, that marriage ended when he was drinking a bottle and a half a day of Jack Daniels. He gave up alcohol in 1976. His acting career nosedived in 1980. In recent years, he has made a comeback with his music and acting careers. He does say that he prefers his music, but his children are his true legacy. I think between us, Bill Clinton and I have settled any lingering myths about the brilliance of being a Rhodes Scholar. Among his personal heroes heroes are Martin Luther King Jr., Jesus Christ, and Gandhi. Going on, he says, I should have been... Dead many times over. The way I used to fly attack choppers, I should have died. When I got numerous concussions from football, I should have died. When I continued to box, even after losing my memory, I should have died. They're trying to tear your head off. I've rolled cars many times, been drunk on motorcycles too often. It's embarrassing now sitting here and knowing you took all these things for granted that I didn't cherish my life at all why me, Lord? Never give up, which is the lesson I learned from boxing. As soon as you learn to never give up, you have to learn the power and wisdom of unconditional surrender. And that one doesn't cancel out the other. They just exist as contradictions. The wisdom of it comes as you get older. Freedom is just another word from nothing left to lose. It seems to get truer the older I get. It makes me think about the time when my apartment got robbed and everything was gone and I was disowned by my family. I owed money to the hospital. I owed my wife $500 a month for child support and I thought, I'm losing my job. I hadn't any money, I had nothing going for me, but it was liberating. I was in this cheap hotel, a filthy place, just sitting there, and a sign across the street was of Jesus and it was just blinking in Lafayette, Louisiana, and I thought, I'm at the bottom. I can't get any lower. I drove my car to the airport and left it there and never went back for it. This is before 9-11. I went to Nashville and called this this friend of mine and told him I just got fired, and he says, Great! Johnny Cash is shooting a new TV show. Come up, and we can pitch him some songs. They cut three of my songs... And they were hits, and I never had to go back to work again. This is the life that wrote this song, Why Me, Lord. In July of this past year, William Johnson, a former editor of the uh, Adventist Review, had uh, uh, an article, and I want to read a couple paragraphs of it. Of all the divine serendipities that point us beyond ourselves, none is more powerful than music. Although music may be used to feed our basic instincts rightly employed, it lifts us to the very throne, throne room of God. Music is mysterious, although it has no necessary relationship to the world. It is deeply rooted in our nature as human beings, showing itself in infancy, and it is manifested in central in every culture. Famed neurologist Oliver Sacks calls this pros- prospensity of music musicophilia. In his book by this title, he quotes Charles Darwin in the puzzle of music's origins as neither the enjoyment nor the capacity of producing music, musical notes are faculties of the least use of, to man. They must be ranked as among the most mysterious with which he is endowed. So even the, this, this guy that started um, can't remember, uh, evolution can't understand what, what is music. If evolution cannot, cannot account for the love of music, the scriptures can They inform us that music was present at the beginning of creation, when the morning stars sang together, and music will be present when the great controversy between Christ and Satan is finally resolved. Then the redeemed of all ages will sing the song of Moses and the Lamb, and all heaven will burst into anthems of praise and thanksgiving. As we live out our time on earth, music can be our constant companion, lifting us up, cheering our hearts. William Concrave said it right. Music has charms to soothe the savage beast. It softens rocks or bend in knotted oak, even when you cannot hear music without sound can ring in your ears. How many times do you go through a day when a song is coming to you? I'm glad to see your head shaking because I don't want to be special. <laughs> but, man, I, I get a song looping in my head. And it it is just powerful. I've come from just the other side of nowhere to this big-time lonesome town. They got a lot of ice and snow here, half as cold as all the people I found. Every way I try to go here seems to bring me down. I've seen about enough to know where I'm where I belong. I've got a mind to see the headlight shining so that old white line between my heart and home, sick of spending Sundays wishing they were Mondays, sitting in the park alone. So give my best to anyone who's left who ever done me any loving way but wrong. Tell them that the pride of just the other side of nowhere is going home. Taking time, taking nothing back to show there for these dues I have paid, but the soul light. Almost sold here, and the body I've been given away. Fading from the neon nighttime glow, here heading for the light of day, just the other side of nowhere, going home. That's another one of his songs. I never heard that on the, on the radio, but I, I saw that. But that's the prodigal son. That's the story of the prodigal son. Not taking nothing back, just going home. Can't wait to get home. Can we wait? Are we looking forward to leaving this place? Are we ready for Jesus to come? To look on his face and say, this is my Lord? Are you ready for Jesus to come? I'm only human. I'm just a man. Help me believe in what I can be and all that I am. Show me the stairway I have to climb. Lord, for my sake. Teach me to take, one day at a time. Do you remember when you walked among men? Well, Jesus, you know, if you're looking below, it's worse now than then. Cheating and stealing, violence and crime, so for my sake. Teach me to take, one day at a time. One day at a time, sweet Jesus, that's all I'm asking for you. Just give me the strength to do every day what I have to do. Yesterday's gone, sweet Jesus, and tomorrow will never be mine. Lord, help me today. Show me the way, one day at a time. Where do these messages come from? I mean, these are powerful songs. Uh, the Alexander Brothers sang this. Jo- Judy Collins, Phil Coulter, Floyd Kramer... Carlene Davis, the Florida Boys, Tennessee Ernie Ford. I remember Tennessee Ernie Ford, the Golden Voice. I remember him singing this song. Foster and Allen, Bill Gaither, Don Gibson, Arthur Greensled, Lee Greenwood, Christy Lane. Numerous took this song and had hits on the radio with it. It's interesting. Because he kept thinking in his mind that Johnny Cash was his answer. I've got to get to Johnny Cash. Well, some little interesting tidbits about Johnny Cash. I've already talked about him being a friend and being a good friend. But he had ties to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And when his kids were younger they always had someone working in their, fam- in, in their house to take care of the kids, and their first choice was always nursing students or student graduates of Southern Adventist University. And some of you saying in this room know one of those nurses back years ago. And she was impressed that They weren't the best Sabbath keepers, but on Friday night, they knew something. Everyone that was in that house knew that Friday night was special. I'm not going to say that they were Seventh-day Adventists, but they they certainly knew what Seventh-day Adventists were. I'm not standing here today and saying that Chris Christopherson is going to be in heaven. But I'll tell you one thing, you can't write songs like that and not have a relationship with God. And when you're, when you're thinking of people like this, when I'm thinking of people like this, musicians that lived life, lived life to the fullest, you can't help but think of David. How many times did David ask, why me, Lord? We, we look in here in, in, um, in Psalms 51. This is David's prayer of forgiveness with Bathsheba. I just want to go on through and look at all of this in verse 5. Surely I have been a sinner from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Verse 7, but yet wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I, like, I was reading after the New International in the King James, it says in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And what does Acts say, what does Jesus say in Acts about David? Acts 13, 22. David is a man after my own heart. When you when you're putting things together like this, there's there's got to be there's got, there's got to be inspiration coming from from a higher authority. First Corinthians five, thirty three and thirty-four is evil company corrupts good morals. Come back to your senses. What it's saying there's you can have had an interesting life. But you can leave that. You can come back to your senses. Let's look up at Romans five, Romans five, three to eight. not only so but we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance perseverance character character hope and hope does not disappoint us because god has poured out his love into our hearts by the holy spirit whom he has given given us verse 6 you see at just the right time when you were still powerless christ died for your ungodly for us for the ungodly for rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though a good man someone might possibly die for. Him. But God demonstrated us demonstrated his own love for us in this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Second Timothy four, Paul says, I have fought a good fight I have stood the test now lays up there the righteous the righteous life when you're thinking and you're having a bad day and you might want to say why me Lord it's our history is what makes us who we are It helps us to understand people that are having those same trials. It's not what you've been. It's where do you want to go? One day at a time, sweet Jesus. That's all I'm asking from you. Just give me the strength to do every day what I have to do. Yesterday's gone, sweet Jesus. And tomorrow may never be mine. Lord, help me today to show me the way one day at a time. Amen.